Can you tell me why? So this is a, a breaking down of the barrier. Can you tell me why? The solution could very well be... Can you tell me why? All of which really begs, I think, a bigger question. It just triggers all our instincts of wanting to know what happens then. Why do universities exist? I know a hell of a lot more now. I mean, how many academics do you want to hear in one day? Hello and welcome back to another episode of Can You Tell Me Why? The podcast where we get surprising answers to difficult questions. My name is Hannah Laxton-Koontz. And my name's William Verity. And William, I feel like you've got a bit of an interesting one for us this yes. week. Yes, drugs! <laughs> oh dear lord. <laughs> um, yes, no, I enjoyed doing this. Drugs is another one of my favourite subjects. When, when I was a passion teenager, it was a passion actually, it probably still is to some extent, although I'm... Uh, you know, getting on a bit. Um, when I was a teenager, it was it was really one of my <laughs> major aims in life was to was to explore the world of drugs. Um, and uh, I have to say, I have no regrets about that as well. I mean, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't want to come over as a sort of proselytizer for drugs. I think there are clearly risks and mm. some very bad things that come with drugs. But what we need to make clear and everybody knows, is that drugs are a part of all societies. They've always been a part of all societies. They always will be a part of all societies. And we all take drugs. And for most of us, it's not at all a problem. Yeah, I mean, saying drugs is making a pretty huge assumption because, you know, people think about stuff like, you know, know, ecstasy or methamphetamine, all those kinds of things. But, I mean, everyone takes paracetamol, people take, you know, contraceptive pill, all those kinds of things. There are drugs that people are constantly taking. Right, so I I, I think we can divide drugs up. So most of us have no problem with medicinal drugs. Mm. You know, I, I take medicinal drugs every day. Yeah. And that's and that my life is all much, much better because of that. Mm. So we have no problem with medicinal drugs. Um, most of us don't have any problem with legal drugs. So uh, we all take drugs, or just about all of us. You know, coffee, that alters the mind, alters the body. For most of us, coffee is not an issue in our lives. It's, it's, a, it's a positive in our lives. Mm. So I think when we're talking about drugs... In this context, and when we say drugs, what we actually mean is illegal drugs. Yeah. So uh, there's a good argument to say that actually alcohol would never be a legal drug now if it was just discovered. It's the alcohol and tobacco are two of the more dangerous drugs, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean no matter what you take, there are consequences, whether they are positive or negative. I suppose it's up to the individual to weigh up those, you know pros and cons and decide whether it's worth taking them yes now now tobacco which is probably my biggest drug vice mm. not I'm, a, I'm an occasional smoker but i have no i have very poor defenses against tobacco um it could be argued that there's really no safe way of taking tobacco mm. i mean the, the, if you have less of it then you're less likely to die but it's still bad for you yeah. i think alcohol is a more interesting one and it's more pertinent to what we're going to hear about in this podcast. And the the big standout for me in researching this was that was the context in which we take drugs is so important. Mm. So there's a bit that we will hear where somebody says, you know, if you take a bottle of wine to a dinner party and everybody else is taking a bottle of wine to a dinner party, do you expect to get in a fight? No. Of course you don't. 
Um, and yet, if you if you go to a you know a, a rough pub and people are drinking a bottle of wine each, then there's a good likelihood there's, there's yeah. going to be a punch up. There's a chance. So so and 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 that is true for alcohol, but it is also true for other drugs which we see as intrinsically evil, such as heroin, such as methamphetamine. I'm not I'm not in any way arguing that either of those two are okay. Mm. Um, I've never taken either of those and that's fine. But what I am saying is that the context in which we take those drugs is absolutely intrinsic to, to the bad effects that they have on us as the people who take them, but also on the people around us. Ah, okay, well, you've definitely grabbed me. I'm, I'm keen to have a listen. Okay, let's hear it. This is a fun one. What would happen if we made all drugs legal? Whoa! <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> Turn on. Tune in. Drop out. Oh my god. Death. A lot of death. Probably a lot of new hospitals built. Drop out of college. Drop out of graduate school. Drop out of uh, junior executive. I don't know. It's a very enticing concept because it would completely crash the black market for one. It wouldn't exist anymore. So criminal activity, in a sense, would decrease like a lot. And, yeah, that sort of thing would really go down. Often a lot of the enticement of illegal substances and stuff is the covert, I'm not supposed to be doing this sort of thing. And also because it feels good. Possibly more jobs could be, you know, beneficial because you're going to need more people to be fixing all the people that are fucked on their drugs. I think a lot of people like myself and like the people I know, we just abstain from drugs just out of choice. And I think a lot of people would remain from that. Like I abstain already from smoking. I think it would just push people who are already there kind of up to cocaine and possibly, you know, whatever other drugs there are. But as for like whether more people would do it, I feel like there would be an increase, but probably not like a dramatically large amount. See, I think... Well, I mean, I definitely want to stop that there because I feel like that's a really interesting point. I feel like legality very rarely probably comes into the decision-making process when it comes to people making people taking drugs. I don't think very many people are sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to get in trouble in some way, punished for this, especially when it comes to recreational use. Yeah, well, and actually might, might as, 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 uh, as that guy said, it actually might have the opposite effect. Yeah. Well, certainly it was true for smoking. That at school, the reason I got into smoking when I was smoking tobacco, this is at, at the age of 14, was because it was not allowed. It was a, it was a way of me asserting my own self. Mm. And I always thought that the best way to stop smoking for schools is to, is to allow smoking but in one room that's kind of dingy and horrible <laughs> and kind of like you Just know smelly and horrible you allow it but only in that r- one room yeah, and, and so you take away all of that glamour from it, and it's just like because what smoking really is is it is a disgusting habit, and it really doesn't do anything of any good. Mm. But but the joy of smoking is the glamour of it. Yeah, is the is the uh, you know the Jack Kerouac thing 
that's was it that that that, that did it for me mm. um and so you take that story away and you take the power away mm. okay well let's okay. jump back in yeah yeah i think there might be like more first time triers i suppose if it becomes legal but i don't know if it becomes legal does that make it become any cheaper because i think often drugs are a no because they're expensive for people kind of thing I don't think many people would move to like heroin or methadone and ice or anything like that. I think that would stay fairly consistent because people who are doing that are not concerned whether it's illegal or you know illegal. They were going to do that regardless of whether it was because it's a big life commitment. I think if you decide to do like heroin, like that's kind of you putting your foot down and being like, yeah, I'm definitely into this world now. Turn on. Tune in and drop out. Okay, I, I will start first. I have taken almost every drug known to man other than white powders. I made a, a decision very early on that I was never going to take a white powder, and that was a really good decision to make. I've taken them sometimes frequently, sometimes just once or twice, and then gone on. And I have no regrets about that whatsoever. <laughs> Well, obviously, it is not always wrong to take drugs. Some people, a rigid view of drug use, so some religions view all drug use as immoral, including alcohol and tobacco. But in Australia, in most liberal Western democracies, people do not have a problem with recreational drug use as long as it's alcohol and, to a certain extent, tobacco, although that is, of course, changing. Well, of course, if, um, if the government tried to ban coffee, I think we really would see riots in the streets. <laughs> Before we start this program, I have to admit to failure. When I set out to make this in the best traditions of journalistic enterprise, I wanted to cover a story from both sides. Should we continue with the war on drugs, or should we give up and find other ways to deal with drug use in our society? But I have to confess that I was not entirely surprised to learn that people who have studied this field scientifically, who have taken the emotion out of the issue, are almost always of the same opinion. The war on drugs has been going for over 40 years now, at least. President Richard Nixon declared the war on drugs in the early 1970s. After 40-odd years, there's no end in sight. Billions of dollars are being spent around the world trying to eradicate drugs, trying to stop people from using drugs. And what we have seen is that more people are using drugs than ever before. I think the last count by the United Nations was there are 29 million regular drug users in the world at the moment. Ben Mostyn is a lecturer at the new University of Wollongong campus in Liverpool and an expert on the war on drugs. Like me, he's also an anthropologist, so he knows that drugs are nothing new. They've always been used by human societies. What's new is prohibition. So what's interesting is that around about 1900, the idea of making drugs illegal, let alone criminalising them, was extremely radical. The first drug to be criminalised in Australia was opium smoking. So opium smoking was banned around 1905. Heroin was not banned until 1952. So we can date the war on drugs in Australia to 1905, when opium smoking was banned because it was used by Chinese migrants, while heroin, which was found in pharmaceutical drugs and used by the white middle classes, remained legal until the 1950s. So there was clearly a racial basis to it. In Australia, we targeted the Chinese and their opium smoking. In America, they targeted the Chinese and opium smoking and also Mexicans and cannabis use. And then came alcohol prohibition in the United States. And that changed everything. 
It was a disaster. It did not stop people drinking. Some research suggests that actually more people drunk under alcohol prohibition than before. Uh, and it obviously started a lot of crime, a lot of tax fraud, and all sorts of other criminal behaviours. Is, is there a direct comparison here with drug prohibition, would you argue? Well, historically, I think what happened is that America got itself up into a bit of a lather. When they realised that that was a massive disaster, there was still a huge segment of the electorate that believed in prohibition. And so the easiest thing for the government to do to keep those people happy was to say, OK, look, we can't keep alcohol illegal because it's a disaster, it's not working, but what we can do is we can start targeting these other drugs. And so, as you said, you know, cannabis was, was banned in the 1930s, around about 1937. You know, it's not a coincidence that cannabis was banned a couple of years after alcohol prohibition ended. In the end, cultural forces made alcohol prohibition impossible. And Ben Mostyn's argument is that right now, cultural forces are doing the same for the war on drugs. So then when they banned cannabis, when they banned heroin, when they banned cocaine, because there wasn't as strong a cultural link with those immigrant cultures, the disastrous results didn't happen straight away. By the 1980s, 1990s, when these drugs did start to become more commonplace, you can then start making the comparisons with the alcohol prohibition of the 1920s. So Ben Moftin argues for a decriminalisation of drugs. He cites the King's Cross Medical Injecting Room as a case in point. They've had a million injections of heroin. Not one person has died. They've had 6,000 overdoses where, where people have had to be treated and still not one person has died. But what's really interesting about the Safe Injection Centre in King's Cross is that they've had 30,000 ice injections up there. And when I did a tour of there last year, the medical supervisor of the centre said, we've had 30,000 ice injections, how many violent episodes do you think we've had? People kind of know it's a bit of a trick question. The answer is zero. OK, let's just stop it here So, so and, and rewind. Let's just hear that little bit again. The medical supervisor of the centre said, if we've had 30,000 ice injections, how many violent episodes do you think we've had? People kind of know it's a bit of a trick question. The answer is zero. OK, so that, that for me is absolutely key point. I, I, I remember when that safe injecting room came in in King's Cross mm. and the kind of shit that went down. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, and, and Bob Carr, to his credit, was able to do it because his political fortunes were high and he was able to spend political capital and just say, we're going to do it. But nobody else did. He was the first and the last. Mm. And how many lives have been saved by that? Not only that, but um, this is the point I was making before about the cultural context of drugs. Even with something like ICE, which I would argue is is, is more damaging than heroin in many ways. Mm. But even with that, not a single violent episode. Not a single violent episode. So that is pretty telling, isn't it? And I suppose, I mean, part of that success would be you know, instrumental in the push that we're seeing now, uh, Spilt Milk Festival in Canberra was supposed to, last year, so in 2017, supposed to be the first festival that had a pill testing uh, facility available. However, funding fell through. I don't know what kind of developmental, you know, um, procedures needed to be made, but whatever 
it didn't happen. Well, my understanding of that is that the federal government stepped in and said no because oh. it's, it's a territory. See, I mean, I just feel like, you know, they've seen the success of the safe injecting room. Why can't those kinds of facilities be brought into other situations like festivals where it's, you know, a hub for these kinds of things to turn bad? Yeah, I oh, know. I think it's, I, I just think it's, it actually makes me quite angry. <laughs> we'll, so, we'll carry on. Move on, move on. <laughs> Here's another trick question. When you take a bottle of wine to a dinner party, knowing that other people will be drinking too, do you expect to get in a fight? Perhaps we need to pay more attention to the culture of drug taking and less to the criminalisation of it. And there's something else we need to pay more attention to as well. we have to really understand is that the war on drugs has not been a war on drugs, it's been a war on people, and in particular people who use drugs. Dr Lynn Magor blatch is an honorary principal fellow at the University of Wollongong. As you will have already gathered, Lynn is no fan of the war on drugs, but her opposition goes much further than just words. This is a woman who did her best to legalise heroin in Australia. I was working in drug policy in the ACT at a time when we were trying to introduce a heroin trial in Canberra. Of course, it was unsuccessful. In the end, it was stopped at a federal level. I remember New South Wales Premier Bob Carr once famously said he didn't want to see New South Wales as a state with a needle in its arm. Is it really the business of the state to start giving out recreational drugs, to start encouraging people to sit at home stoned or worse... Shouldn't we be doing anything that we can to say, look, just get out and live for a bit? Sure. And, you know, what has been proposed is never that kind of idea that the state is giving out drugs. There are parts of America, of course, that have now legalised cannabis in particular. But again, you know, coming back to the difference between legalisation and decriminalisation. Let me just stop Lynn here and underline a crucial distinction. You really need to understand this if you want to understand the alternative to putting drug users in prison. You ready? Decriminalisation is not the same as legalisation. I'll say that again in case you missed it. Decriminalisation is not the same as legalisation. So decriminalisation means that people who are picked up with quantity of drugs on them for personal use don't go into the criminal justice system but go into the health system. But it'll never work, I hear you thinking. This is hippie wishful thinking. Wrong. Because there is one place in the world that has tried just this and it's had unequivocal success. decriminalisation for all drugs. What's happened there is that the rate of overdoses has gone, you know, it's less than 100 people a year now die of an overdose. You know, in America, 124 people die every day from overdose from prescription medications, not just illicit drugs. (laughs) 
So there's been enormous changes and they're the sort of changes that I for one would really like to see in Australia. So the expert evidence is clear. The war on drugs is killing people. It's as simple as that. Give people a safe injecting room and a million hits can go by without a single fatality. But when people decide to stop taking drugs, what then? The news, as you may have guessed already, is not good. We're in a situation at the moment where uh, people are crying out for treatment um, and only a very small proportion of the money that we put into the war on drugs actually finds its way into the treatment sector. And finally, a point that needs to be made, but it's almost never made in the debate. Drugs are fun. Just ask any wine drinker, any coffee drinker, even any cigarette smoker. That's it on drugs for now. It's been such a pleasure to talk about this emotive topic with a couple of people who know enough to take the emotion out and see clearly what works and what doesn't. So are we ending the war on drugs? Well, maybe. This year, marijuana will be legal in Canada and eight American states. How long will it take Australia to catch up? And I mean, we're on our way there, aren't we? I, I suppose. Well, maybe. A bit like the Australia Day date. You kind of feel it's going to change sooner yeah. or later or same-sex marriage or any of these things that just roll on and on and <laughs> on and eventually you will get there. So I, I want to ask you, what are your, you know, as a young person, what are, what are your <laughs> views on drugs? Are you conservative? Are you progressive? Are you What, what? are the kids doing these yes, days? Yes, what are the kids doing? Well, I mean, I like I said before, I really don't think that making it illegal – is going to make any difference. People are still out there. They're still taking drugs. It's part of the risk-taking behaviour associated with being young. Okay, so I'm going to get, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So what what are your drug-taking behaviours? And your mum is not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I myself am really quite cautious, and that's only because I know I have really bad reactions to things. And so I don't want to put my friends in a situation where they have to look after me and make that decision do we tell someone that she's taken drugs? Rah, 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 rah. Mm. But, I mean, a lot of people out there are definitely more interested in taking drugs because it's cheaper than drinking. You know, the kind of uh, events and festivals and things that people are going to, they're selling alcohol for, like, you know, between 11 and $15. If you're going to spend an entire day, you know, maybe more than eight hours drinking, it's so expensive and no one mm. can be bothered to pay that much money. Get a pill for one drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's your ex that, that is your entire That is 100% <laughs> what people think. You know, you can spend 50 bucks and you're set for the day, whereas, you know, if you were going to be drinking, you'd be spending 150 maybe more. Yeah, I remember somebody telling me um, about how, you know, how all the – Police dogs are outside festivals. It always seems like such a farce, really, the whole thing. But so when you go to the, I don't know this firsthand, but when you go to the toilets, there are just condoms everywhere. Every, yeah, 110%. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone. Because people, people kind of secrete them wherever. People, there is no way they are ever going to stop people from taking drugs into festivals. They are always going to find a way to do it. And dogs don't daunt people, especially because, you know, Unless you're carrying a ridiculous amount with you, you're probably going to get a slap on the wrist. 
Yeah. I mean, I went to field day for New Year's 2018 and they had drug dogs there. I was with people who were taking drugs. No one was phased at all. I mean, and apparently the... Were they were taking drugs in or they had yeah, taken drugs? Both. Right. Yeah. Well, they're um, braver than me. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I, I tell you, Maybe I that's tell you, part of the risk-taking br- process. Briefly funny story. I was in Amsterdam. This this is a long time ago, and I wouldn't recommend this to nobody at all. It was <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, oh, I'll try. Do not oh, do this at do home. Do not do this at home. So um, I had this ridiculous amount of hash that I had left left over from my stay in Amsterdam. I wanted to take it back to the UK. So I, I thought, oh, that's right. I'll just swallow it. So I've got a condoms <laughs> I tried to swallow it it was too much so I couldn't I couldn't actually get it down my throat so I thought I know what I'll just eat half of it <laughs> oh, gosh. I have no idea how I got back to the UK I don't remember anything <laughs> um, uh, I mean, so it was, wasn't a good experience though. yes I can imagine well I mean I'm definitely interested to see the way this pans out I mean by the sounds of things considering this started many 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 years ago it will take two, three, four, if not more times before we're going to see anything done about it. Uh, I, I disagree. I think, uh, my, here's my prediction, that mm. marijuana will be legal in Australia within 10 years. There you go. How because, long? But because, because we do everything the United States does, and the United States is doing it right now. So yeah. 10 mm. years. All right. It'll happen. You heard it here first. Okay. What have we got next time? Well, it's funny that you should say, what do we have next time? Because our next episode fits really well into this notion that we were just hearing about then, about context. And so next week, we're looking at prisons. We're looking at Australia's prison system and criminal justice system and having a look at how it currently works. Why do people commit crimes? Why do people reoffend? And is prison really the best way to rehabilitate them? People commit crimes because they make a rational choice between the expected benefit of the crime versus the potential cost. Uh, a bit like gambling. Yeah? You know, so you go and you buy yourself a lotto ticket, you say it's only going to cost me $30, uh, and if I win, I win $30 million, uh, but that's $30 I can't pay for my mortgage. Yeah? And so you know, people make those sorts of judgments. Now, if you believe that people commit crimes on the basis of uh, some sort of judgment about you know, the net benefit versus the net cost, Uh, then what you've got to do is make the net cost bigger. I think definitely, to some extent, you need to keep all the crappy people away from the good people. But I also just feel like it's very much like, okay, go away for 10 years and then come back out into society and function. And it's like, okay, well, I have trouble functioning in society sometimes. There has been a lot of research looking at what long-term imprisonments do to people and probably in the vicinity of somewhere between six and seven years it becomes incredibly difficult for someone to leave jail and to lead any form of normal life. Okay that's it for this episode for Can You Tell Me Why the podcast where we find surprising answers to difficult questions. If you would like to listen to any of our other podcasts or find out any other information you can go to www.stand uow.edu.au or simply Google Stand Wollongong should get you there. My name's William Verity. My name is Hannah Laxton Coons. And looking forward to meeting you again. Bye.